Well, good morning. And, and yes, I, I do know it's morning. I, I have trouble with uh, not saying uh, good evening to you because I'm a Saturday nighter at heart, I have to admit. Uh, but you know what they say, once you go night, you'll always be right. Or uh, uh, come on at night and we'll show you the light. So it's a little hard for me to remember that. But it's great to see you here this morning, although that's a bit of a lie. I mean, I can't see any of you, but uh, it just sounds weird if I was to say it's great to be seen by you this morning. So we'll go with that. And, you know, it's kind of funny the last time that I spoke was in March, and it was actually the last time that we met together here in person, uh, ever since we've, uh, we've been doing this live streaming thing. And I actually joked at the time that I found live streaming to be very stressful because of something called analytics, where we could actually look and see how many people are logged in, but just as importantly, how long they stay. And I said, I found it very stressful to see people leaving as I spoke. Uh, and so I gave you some advice then. I'd love for you to follow again this week. If you could just, you know, if you find it's going a bit long, if you find you've had enough, if you just, uh, you really just time to go, just mute me and let it run because I just simply can't take the rejection. So I would appreciate that for sure. Uh, but you know, last time I was here, and if you're here, sorry, if you're just checking us out or if you're part of our Kingsway family, we just, we just love that you're here. And if this is your first time, you're already family. We're just so excited that you're joining us. And if you're just kind of hanging out with us until your church resumes services, uh, we're just so glad to have you here as well. And so uh, if you don't know me, my name is Gary, and I fill in from time to time in the role of guest speaker for Mark. And uh, when I last spoke in March, as I mentioned, I talked about a very well-known story from the Old Testament, that of David and Goliath. And uh, we did so with a simple thought, uh, just to ask the question, why is David seen as a man after God's own heart? And maybe to put a finer point on it, to ask, why is this man seen as a hero of the Old Testament when he also seems so flawed? I mean, we know him as a shepherd, as a king, as a poet, as a musician, as a trusted friend and a loyal subject and a mighty warrior, but he's also an adulterer. And we saw him arranged for the murder of a competitor. And there was a number of times he directly disobeyed God. And so we decided to go about answering that question by looking at some of the conflict in David's life. And we learned that half the Psalms, almost half the Psalms, 72 out of 150 Psalms, actually deal with an enemy or with some sort of conflict. As the last time we looked at David versus Goliath, and this week we're going to look at David versus Saul. And finally, if you don't all log out, we're going to look at David versus himself next time. And if you want to hear the full message of David versus Goliath, you can do that on the Kingsway website. But I do want to remind you of the one point that I made in my one-point sermon, and that was simply this, that David placed his hope and the one that he depended on. And we learned that the entire story of David and Goliath showed us this truth. And we were, put in, we were able to put a nice little bow on the entire thing by looking at Psalm 25, the first five verses. And we summarized it this way. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. And my hope is in you all day long. I wonder if we can say that together. You ready? In you, Lord my God, I put my trust. And my hope is in you all day long. Now, here's the thing. I know some of you didn't say it. In fact, if you're sitting with someone right now who didn't say it, I want you to give them a little look of disapproval, somewhere between a glance and a glare. Make sure that they feel a little peer pressure to participate this morning, because, if you're, and, and because that's our goal for today, is for have you participate. And if you're watching alone, I know it can be awkward to talk to yourself, and that's actually going to lead us into our first opportunity to participate together. And so, that's in our instant poll. And the question is simple. Which of the following three jokes do you prefer? Jokes that have to do with talking to yourself. So again, we're hopefully by now you're logged into the survey. If not, you can see a reminder of how to get there. And if you're sitting there on that screen that says success, 
we're about ready to hit that next button, but I want you to have some fun with it. If you're sitting with someone, I see Lori and Rick are logged in on separate devices, and that's great, so they can kind of have a little competition to see who gets the most correct answers tonight. And I'm excited to see by how much Lori wins. No, I'm just kidding. Rick has a 100% chance of winning too. But here we go. So here it is. You can hit that next button, and here are your three options, three jokes about talking to yourself. Number one, when asked by my wife, why do you talk to yourself all the time? I simply reply, because sometimes I need expert advice. Number two, actually, talking to yourself is a sign of genius. At least that's what I keep telling myself. And joke number three, talking to yourself is a first sign of madness. The second is answering. So you're going to go online right now on your survey, click the one that you like, click next, which will lock in your answer, but then don't read the next screen because we're not there yet. And we'd also love for you to share your answer on the live stream. And again, if you're, if you're there in person, if you're in a group, feel free just to talk right over top of me and share which joke you liked better. You'll notice I didn't give you the option of saying none of them were funny because that's just me. All right, so you've got to pick one. Hopefully you've logged that in. And once you've selected it, you should be ready to go to the next question, but don't read it yet. And uh, obviously for that question, there is no right answer. Uh, but for the next eight, there will be. And we're actually going to get, at the end, you're going to get a score out of eight. It's going to tell your score and your percent. And we're encouraging you to screenshot that and send it in. We're going to have some prizes, and I'll tell you more about that in a minute. But uh, listen, your participation tonight is mandatory. I don't want you to simply sit and watch. I want you to be involved. And if you've seen me speak here at Kingsway before, you know I often call people up to the front or play a game or have people yell out from their seats. And I was really at a loss for how to get you involved when you're not here. And so I thought about it and I thought, you know, reading and, and listening, they're kind of very solitary things. They're kind of very independent things. But there is one exception, that being the Choose Your Own Adventure book. You guys remember these things? Because here's the thing. You can't be passive when you're reading one of these books. If you don't make a choice, the story never progresses. And, you know, I couldn't believe how many of these there, there were when I Googled them. Apparently, since the series began in 1979, there are over 400 titles in the series, and they're still publishing them today under a number of subseries, like Choose Your Own Adventure Spies or Choose Your Own Adventure Celebrity or Choose Your Own Super Adventures. And that makes you wonder, who's reading a Choose Your Own Adventure book when you could be reading a choose-your-own-super-adventure book. My guess is accountants and retired people who just can't handle the added excitement. And if you're unaware of how these books work, there are stories where every few pages you're given a choice. And based on the option you choose, you're sent to a different page with a different scenario being played out. And I remember in middle school doing a book report on a choose-your-own-adventure book because my teacher, Mrs. Gray, said that the book had to be at least 100 pages long. But here's the thing, when you read a choose-your-own-adventure book, you probably only read 10 or 15 pages before you come to one possible ending. And the premise was simple, two choices. The one usually fairly sane and, uh, and sensible, and the other was risky and foolish. And of course, the story usually ended faster if you chose risky and foolish, and that way you read less for Mrs. Gray. And when I read the text for today, which covers 1 Samuel chapters 18 through 22, which gives the account of the time between when David defeated Goliath and when David ended up hiding in a cave, it kind of reads like a choose-your-own-adventure book. It's David making decision after decision that leaves you wondering, is he just trying to get to the end of the story as quickly as possible? And if it was a choose-your-own-adventure book, I think I would call it David's Wild Ride. Because David does not seem like the same young man 
that we saw last time. He, sees far, he seems far from the man who that knew that God was with him and fearlessly stood up against a giant. His behavior in this section, to be honest, it's hard to explain. But here's something that I believe to be true, and it goes a long way to explain David's choices. And it's simply this, that what, David, sorry, what God wants for us, not from us, but for us, often seems irrelevant when we're alone, abandoned, or afraid. You see, these three conditions cause us to lose focus on what God would want us to do and how he would want us to live. And he ha- and they has us making decisions in our lives that we simply would not have made if we were not feeling alone, abandoned, or afraid. Because most likely the biggest regret you have in your life was, comes from a time when you were in a place where you were alone, abandoned, and afraid. And if that's not true, may I suggest to you that a future regret that's waiting maybe because of one of these three conditions. And the reason for this is, the reason why we often feel panicked when we feel this way is because these are powerful emotions. Feeling alone, abandoned, or afraid, they're powerful. And generally, we feel the need to do something, really anything, to ease that tension. And that often leads to regret. When we feel alone, abandoned, or afraid, we panic. We tend to do things that make it worse. That tends to lead to more regret. And so we end up more alone, or more abandoned, or more afraid. Because when we're alone, we might seek out the company of people we shouldn't, and that leads to regret. Because when we're afraid, we might lie to avoid consequences, and that leads to regret. And when we feel abandoned, we might carry a grudge and we can't forgive others, and that can lead to regret. And we can see in David's life, there's really three major failures in his life, three times where his life comes off the rails. Once as a a young man, about 22 years old, that's what we're going to look at tonight again in his mid, as a middle-aged man, and then again when he's in his, later fifth, in his late 50s. Now remember, David faced off against Goliath when he was 15 years old. And from that day on, David is a rock star in the young nation of Israel. David was a cool, good-looking young stud who had crushed Goliath and literally never lost a fight or a battle in his life. I mean, they wrote songs about him. I admit the lyrics weren't great. It went something like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000s. It's not overly catchy, is it? I kind of imagine it to the tune of the song uh, 500 Miles by the Proclaimers. Do you guys know that? Can you sing it at home? You know, I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more. You got it. I kind of think it sounds like this. Saul has killed his thousands of men, but David has killed 10,000 more. I could go on, but uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, why... Thank you. Why doesn't he just join the worship team? And I've tried a dozen times, but Chris says I'm too valuable in the media booth. But, you know, Saul hears that song, and just like you a minute ago, he cringes because he doesn't like it. He does, Saul's not really mad at David. He's jealous of David because Saul could have been the man, but he didn't trust that God would prevail and instead let David fight that battle for him. And then Saul sees that David is growing in power and influence and in popularity. So Saul does what many people do in that situation. He decides to keep his friends close, but his enemies even closer. And so he offers up his daughter to David to be his wife and supports a new friendship that is developing between David and Saul's son, Jonathan. Now, just to keep our facts straight, David said no to marrying Saul's daughter, but then fell in love with a different daughter of Saul's and married her instead. It actually reminds me of a story of a young youth pastor, a young man of God who couldn't seem to decide which daughter to date but uh, I won't bore you with those details. But now Saul's happy. He has built this buffer around David 
to keep tabs on him and control him. Saul is David's king and his father-in-law. Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's BFF. And Michal, his son's, uh, Saul's daughter, is now David's wife. So Saul has him boxed in. He can now control him and watch him and do with him as he sees fit. And for the next seven years, Saul jumps back and forth between loving David and hating David. And let me be clear, David remains loyal and respectful, but Saul is prone to these wild mood swings. He loves and values David and is thankful for what he's doing one minute, and then he loathes and hates David and tries to kill him the next. And so Saul starts to understand that this triangle isn't working. What really starts to understand is that the triangle should look more like this. And so Saul's jealousy grows, his anger grows, and his distrust of David grows. And so Saul starts to send out David on these suicide missions, hoping and expecting that David won't be returning. And that leads us to our first uh, choice to see what happens next in our Choose Your Own Adventure story this morning. So again, you can follow along with your online survey to see the options as, they, as they're going to happen. So if you look at your screen now, um, you'll see three choices. We'll go through them in a second, but once you've made your choice, you're going to hit next. But again, don't read the next page that comes up. We're not there. So decision one is this. Saul is jealous. He is tired of David being the hero. And if he hears that song one more time, he's going to lose it. So Saul sends David out on a number of outrageous missions, hoping that he won't return safely. Now, if you think that Saul sent David to dig up the, uh, dig up the body of Goliath to celebrate the anniversary of David's victory, turn to page 34, 24. If you think that Saul asked David to attack the Philistine camp and return with two foreskins as proof of the massacre, turn to page 14. If you think that Saul required David to travel to Egypt to demand reparations from Pharaoh, Turn to page 36. So take a quick second, click on the option, uh, option that you think actually happened, and uh, feel free to, again, share with the people around you, uh, share on the live chat if you like. And I'm sorry, I know there are kids watching, and you now have to explain to your kids, you parents, what a foreskin is. But actually what happened next was that Saul set a dowry for David to marry his daughter, Michal. David, Saul said that if you want to marry my daughter, bring me 100 Philistine foreskins. And David, being a true romantic, brought him 200. And we read that David was sent out again and again to fight with the Philistines, and that David succeeded again and again. And Saul's behavior and his mood swings became more and more unpredictable. And that leads to our second option here, decision number two. So now you can look at your screen. When David was playing the harp for Saul, Saul became infuriated. Saul became so angry with David that he tried to kill him. Once David escaped, Saul sends soldiers to David's house. In a panic, David must escape. If you think that David escaped by hiding in the stable under the pigs, turn to page 26. If you think that David stood his ground and killed Saul's men, turn to page 30. And if you think that David climbed out of the window while his wife created a fake body in the bed, turn to page 18. So again, make your choice, click next, but don't read the next slide. And you know what I mean by a fake body in the bed, right? Like in every prison break or teenage coming-of-age coming movie where you kind of create a fake body in your bed with pillows and cover it up so people think you're still there. Well, David must have been watching some of those movies because that's exactly what his wife did as he climbed the second floor window. But then Saul's anger subsided until the next time that David was invited for dinner. Saul planned to arrest and kill David, but Jonathan warned David not to come because of the plot against him. And when Saul found out what Jonathan had done, well, let's just say Saul did not take the news well. 
We can read it in 1 Samuel 20, verse 30 and 31. It says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Well, that, that's some pretty strong language, but that's actually the censored version. I wanted to use the New Living Translation, but the language was a little too spicy for kids to, for kids to hear. And, uh, but, you know, as an adult, if you want to check it out, you can go, go look, 1 Samuel twenty thirty in the NLT. It's one of those verses in the Bible that when you read it, you say to yourself, you, you can't say that in church. So we'll stick with you, son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I'm sure Jonathan must have been thinking, well, dad, you married her. And I know that Mark likes to make jokes at the expense of his poor mother-in-law, and I have no idea she's such a lovely woman. But this must have been the most awkward dinner with the in-laws ever. But this is why you have to love Jonathan. Saul insults him, insults his mom, and reminds him that he'll never become king until David dies. And yet Jonathan remains loyal to his friend. I think if I were Jonathan, I'd be thinking, you know, if I just keep my mouth shut, I'll have peace in the family, I'll have peace in the palace, and I'll have a huge inheritance, and one day I'll be king. But Jonathan is of such high character he helps David escape. But David realizes it's gone too far this time, and he has to go. And so David is 22 years old. He's alone, abandoned, and afraid, away from his family and his friends, and he's on the run, even knowing he hasn't done anything wrong. And so what did he do? He panicked. He lost sight of the simple fact that God was with him, and he panicked. He looked to himself as the author of his own destiny. And this is the same David that seven years earlier had declared in you, Lord my God, I put my trust and my hope is in you all day long. And now he's on the run. And we know the end of the story. We know that David survives and later becomes king of Israel. And one day God would refer to David as a man after his own heart. But when we look at the story of David, we're kind of asked, left with the question, what was he doing? And can I tell you something? When you've been in that place, when you've been alone, abandoned and afraid, and you're depending on your own knowledge instead of God's? Can I tell you that other people around you have looked at you and asked the same sort of questions? Why are you doing that? Why would you say that? Why are you putting yourself in that situation? Why are you blowing up your marriage? Why are you risking getting fired? Why are you turning your back on those who care about you? Why are you buying that? Why did you agree to that? Just why? But David did what so many of us do when we feel alone, abandoned, and afraid. He starts making poor decisions. Decisions based on what we feel and think in that moment rather than what what God would have us do. And so David runs to a place called Nob. Now, a little backstory about Nob. Jerusalem was the capital city, if you will, of the young nation of Israel. But Jerusalem was not in an overly safe location. It was always being threatened by opposing forces. So it was decided that all of the religious relics and the temple of God, uh, all of those things would basically be kept in a place that would move around in a temporary temple Uh, really just a series of tents. Everything was there. The Ark of the Covenant was kept there. The actual, uh, I don't know, the contraption that they kept the broken tablets in, as well as some men and other things. And this is where we can go back to our choose-your-own-adventure story. So uh, this is where David uh, basically goes, and this is where David gets into some trouble. So back to our survey. Decision number three. David is on the run, and he heads for Nob to see Ahimelech, the chief priest. Alone, abandoned, and afraid, David commits his first sin of this story. 
If you think that David lies to Ahimelech to get food, turn to page 32. If you think that David gets into an argument with Ahimelech and kills him, turn to page 44. And if you think that David declared himself to be king over all of Israel, turn to page 34. So make your choice and click next. And again, don't read the next question. But David chooses to create an elaborate backstory to explain what he's doing there. And he won't see the consequences for what he's doing until the end of the story. But his decision will have negative effects on so many people around him. 1 Samuel 21, the first three verses, tells us that Ahimelech sees David coming, and he knows something's wrong. David usually traveled with a thousand highly trained troops. They were called David's mighty men. But now David is alone, without any pomp or ceremony. And when he asks David what's going on, David lies and tells Ahimelech that he's on a top-secret mission from Saul and that he can't tell him any of the details and that all of his men are waiting for him somewhere else. And then Ahimelech needs to give David whatever food he has. Ahimelech tells him that the only food that he has is bread that was consecrated to God. But David takes it anyway. And then David realizes that along with the food, he's going to take something else that doesn't belong to him. Decision four, the next screen in your survey. Now that David has some food for his journey, he also takes one of the priest's religious relics for his own use. If you think that Goliath's sword that David had used to cut off Goliath's head, turn to page 52. If you think it was Saul's royal spear that was carried by Saul to signify his authority as king, turn to page 42. And if you think it was Ahimelech's priestly scepter signifying his religious authority as the chief priest, then turn to page 58. Well, what did David say to Ahimelech? He looked him in the eyes. He said, I I forgot my weapons. Really, the greatest warrior in the land on a top secret mission for the king forgot his weapon. So I need you to picture this. David is standing next to the Ark of the Covenant, which contained what? Well, it contained, among other things, the Ten Commandments. What did the Ten Commandments say? Well, among other things, don't steal, don't lie. So what does David do? He steals and lies. And then David looks over and sees Goliath's sword on display. David would have given that sword to the temple as uh, uh, as a relic. And that sword was the epitome of what it would have meant to trust God. But then David, when he sees that sword, all the memories come rushing back. How God had had stood by and protected him from Goliath. How he, David, had stepped up in that moment of courage and faith and stood firm against a giant. So then he drops to his knees. He cries out to God, what am I doing? And with tears running down his cheeks, he proclaims, you, Lord, my God, I put my trust and my hope is in you all day long. Well, no, he didn't do any of that. He says, and I'm quoting, hey, that's a great sword, give me. Okay, the actual quote is, there is none like it, give it to me. Seven years after David's great triumph over Goliath, that amazing moment where David chose to rely on God, we find him sneaking around, lying and stealing food and scamming the priest in the temple. I mean, where is this 15-year-old kid? It seems like maybe this is the case where being alone, abandoned and afraid were giants that were just a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger than Goliath had been. Because David isn't looking to God. He's looking to himself. He'll figure this out. He'll find a solution. He, not God, can fix this. It's a belief that if God was with me, this wouldn't be happening to me. I love how that's what Mark spoke about last week because what David is saying is, where's God? If Saul wasn't persecuting me, if God was here, that I wouldn't have to lie, steal, and deceive. But here's the thing. It's really easy to trust God when your life is easy. 
Andy Stanley once said this, it's easy to trust God when we have nothing to trust him with and nothing to trust him for. When life is good, it's easy to go to church, sing those songs, read your Bible, join a Bible study and pray to God. Because ladies and gentlemen, that's what doubt looks like. Doubt isn't just simply wondering if there is a God or if I'm in the right religion. Doubt is often a decision to trust in yourself and discount God's role in your life. It's saying that in this one instance, I know what's best. I know better than God. And so I'm going to do things that I know God doesn't want me to do. And so David leaves Nob. And where does he go next? Well, that's our next decision. Decision number five. You can check out the screen. Now that David has food for a few days, Angeliah's sort, he needs to find somewhere safe to go. If you think that David went to Jerusalem to disappear into the big city, turn to page 28. If you think that David went to Bethlehem, his hometown where he had family, then turn to page 62. And if you think that David went to Gath, then turn to page 64. Now, all of these ideas sound a little crazy. Jerusalem is where Saul is. Why head back there and run the risk of being seen by all the people who know you? Bethlehem, well, that's David's hometown, probably the first place that Saul would look. And Gath, where have I, where have I heard that name before? Oh, yeah, that's the hometown of Goliath, the giant, deep in the heart of Philistine territory. And believe it or not, David chose to go to Gath. He goes into enemy territory because he knows that Saul won't be looking for him there. And this is how I know that David is panicking because the next part is really crazy. He has nothing but a few loaves of bread and a really big sword. And that leads us to decision six. Realizing that he needs to lay low and avoid Saul's men, David must find somewhere safe to go. If you think that David hid in a cave, turn to page 48. If you think that David lived with a Philistine family pretending that he was Goliath, turn to page 50. And if you think that David tried to join the Philistine army by going directly to see the king, turn to page 20. Well, believe it or not, David decides to enlist in the Philistine army, and he ends up at the king's palace looking to join teen Philistine. And the king looks at David and says, wait a minute. Isn't that the guy that they sing those songs about? You guys want me to sing it again? Okay. Uh, So isn't that the guy that they sing those songs about? And now David knows he's made a mistake. He knows he's in terrible trouble, and he knows he has to get out of this situation, a situation of his own making. And so decision seven asks you this. Now David knows that he's made a terrible mistake. His life is on the line. He must act quickly. If you think that David started acting crazy so that they would release him, turn to page 56. If you think that David fights his way out using Goliath's sword, turn to page 66. If you think that David offers to marry King Achish's daughter to prove his loyalty, turn to page 38. Well, as hard as it is to believe, the future, the great future king of Israel, their mightiest warrior. Let's just read it together. First Samuel 21, starting in verse 13. It says, so he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? (laughs) But it worked. David's thrown out in the street, no longer seen as a threat. And he continues on his wild ride until he ends up living in a cave. But meanwhile, Saul is hearing news of David's exploits. And he's angry because it seems as though people are helping him and siding with him. And this is where the biggest plot twist resides. You see, there was someone listening to that conversation that David had had 
with the head priest Ahimelech, someone who knew that Ahimelech had helped David on his journey. And this leads us to our last decision, decision eight. As it turned out, someone had overheard David speaking with Ahimelech, and that person was. If you think it was Saul's chief soldier, turn to page 12. If you think that it was Saul's personal priest, turn to page 22. And if you think it was Saul's chief shepherd, turn to page 60. Now, once you make that choice and click next, you're going to go to a screen that tells you your score. It'll tell you a market of eight as well as a percent. And so I want you to screenshot that score because I'm going to ask you to send it to me because we'd love to know how you did. We have two prizes available. I'll explain that in a second for our big winners this morning. But we're going to have two categories, two categories of awards. So anybody who scored between either one, two, or three, and it'll come up on the screen in a second here. If you scored one, two, or three, you're el- you send in your information. That makes you eligible for the wait. There's an Old Testament award. And so send that in now. If you scored six, seven, or eight, you can actually send in your score, and we'll enter you in the, in the draw for the I Memorized First Samuel as a part of my Rabbinical Training Award. And if you scored zero on the quiz, maybe just delete that screen grab. You don't have to tell anybody. But it's all in fun, though, just to, just to see how you did. So if you want to enter into either one of those, send in um, to, the phone, to the phone number or the email that's on the screen. And again, you can, um, you can just put in the live chat. Uh, we'll trust you for that as well. So you can send that in now, and we'll, we'll figure out shortly how we did. Um, but I'm not making, back to the story, I'm not making this part up. It was Saul's head shepherd, whose name was Doug. Okay, it's actually Doeg, but I'm going with Doug. And Doug was Ahimelech's uh, chief shepherd. And he was jealous of David because David was a shepherd who made it big. And so Doug tells on Ahimelech, and Saul absolutely loses it. Saul questions Ahimelech, who tells him exactly what happened, is completely honest, tells him how he was lied to by David, But then Saul orders the soldiers to kill not just Ahimelech, but all of the priests. His soldiers, of course, refuse. And so Saul looks around and sees Doeg standing there and says, you do it. And Doeg does it. He kills 85 priests that day. In fact, the only one to escape is Abiathar, Ahimelech's son. And he finds David and tells him what happened. And now David is broken. You see, David knows that he's responsible. He he knew that Saul would go after Ahimelech for what he had done for simply believing David's lies. 1 Samuel twenty two twenty two says, Then David said to Abiathar, That day when Doeg the Edomite, uh, Edomite was there, I knew he was sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your entire family. And now we see David doing something that he should have been doing all along. He reaches out to God. In the very next section of scripture, we see David withdrawing from those around him and seeking God's wisdom, seeking to let God show him the correct choice, the correct decision to make. You see, when David was alone, abandoned, and afraid, he left behind the simple truth. In you, Lord my God, I put my trust, and my hope is in you all day long. But what's really cool about studying the life of David is we have the narrative in First and Second Samuel, but we also have a very unique look into what David was thinking and feeling by reading the Psalms. And we don't know when all of the Psalms were written, but we do know that David wrote Psalm 9 in reference to a difficult time in his life. When David looked back at this wild ride, knowing the mistakes he had made, knowing how many had died because of his choices, he wrote this, Psalm 9, 9 and 10. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you, O Lord, for you, Lord, 
have never forsaken those who seek you. Do you know what the word forsaken means? It means to be abandoned, to be left alone, ignored, and deserted. In a word, forsaken means to be alone, abandoned, and afraid. Do you know what that verse is really saying? I think Andy Stanley puts it best in one, of his, in one of his courses. He says, if you feel forsaken, that means you're mistaken. When things begin to go wrong, and remember, it wasn't David's fault, but when David's circumstances became difficult, instead of looking up to him, he looked inward to himself. David believed that his circumstances was proof that God had forsaken him. And it took for David's world to come crashing down around him for David to Go back to the simple knowledge that God knows you, God loves you, and God can be trusted with the details of your life. Because can I tell you this? A God that can't be trusted with the details of your life, well, that's no God at all. But I believe that there was one other thing happening there. One thing more than just the shocking news that woke David up to what was going on. Something else happens as David is hiding in that cave. People start to rally to him some former soldiers, some family members, and eventually people he don't, doesn't even know, they start coming to him. He no longer feels alone, abandoned, and afraid, and he regains a sense of connection and community. And at this difficult time, as many of us are struggling with a sense of being alone, abandoned, and afraid, my encouragement to you is just to keep God as the focus in your life, to trust him with everything because he loves you and he cares about you. But can I also encourage you that you don't have to do it alone? Your Kingsway family is here for you. We've been pointing out this online form for several weeks now, and I want to let you know that, yes, it absolutely is for people who need concrete help, like things for groceries, delivery of medicines, meals, that sort of idea. The Feed the Need initiative is so important. But I also want to encourage you to reach out. Use this form to reach out to connect. If you need to talk to someone, to pray with someone, or just have someone listen to you, can I encourage you to fill that online form out? Will you reach out to us? so that we can reach out to you. We just pray together. Lord, so thankful. So thankful for community, for a family like this, people who just, uh, just a family of believers, Lord, who just want to grow closer to you. And just as importantly, Lord, I'm so thankful for people who are maybe just checking out tonight, don't, don't, don't uh, really know what this is all about, Lord, but they're here and they're listening. Would you, just, would you just continue to just be the God who shows us love, shows us care, shows that uh, the smallest detail in our life just matters to you. How powerful is that to think that the creator of the universe cares about me, knows me, understands me, and wants a relationship with me. Thank you so much for that, Lord. Thank you so much for, for the story of David this week. That's, it's hard to understand, and yet we can see ourselves so easily in the decisions that David was making. How often do we know better, but just don't, don't trust, don't rely on you? I just pray this week, Lord, as we go about our lives, Lord, that we would just continually come back to a reminder that you and only you can be trusted with the details of our lives. Can we just, uh, um, just promise that, just endeavor to do that, Lord, to put you first? So thankful for Kingsway. So thankful for a chance to come together this morning, Lord. So thankful to be part of your family. I just pray this in your precious name, Jesus.